Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Scott McFarlane, CEO of Integra Medical, about needle-free technology and his own experience with COVID-19. Now, on to the show. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Scott McFarlane, CEO of Integra Medical. Welcome, Scott. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And we're going to talk about a couple of things today, uh, one of which is uh, needle phobia and sort of, you know, uh, the needle-free injection, injection technology that, um, that your company produces. But um, before we get to that, um, you know, we uh, you had mentioned uh, previous that, you know, you recently uh, came down with uh, COVID-19, um, you know, even as you're sort of, you know, in, in the leading the fight to, you know, kind of get this under control, you actually got COVID yourself. So wanted to ask you, you know, when did you test positive for COVID and how are you doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I began having um, suspicions that I may be uh, COVID positive on uh, Sunday, September 20th. So I uh, did get a test on Monday morning, um, kind of the drive up test at the local CVS here in Phoenix. And uh, sure enough, by Wednesday morning, um, the, <coughs> excuse me, the results had come back uh, that I was uh, positive for COVID-19. So I'm in about uh, day 12 of my COVID journey. Uh, it has been, um, I, I've been, I've been fortunate in that I've had a great uh, primary care physician that's been able to keep in contact with me uh, over the, uh, the, the uh, provider platform technology that their office uses. And I've also, um, been keeping tabs on my blood oxygen saturation level. And uh, that's been a kind of the indicator as to whether I was going to go to the emergency room or not. My, my primary care and I doctor uh, and I sort of work that sort of strategy. So um, I, I would say that my case has not been mild, uh, but I have been, uh, been able to manage staying out of the hospital. And hopefully uh, at day 12, I'm on the back end of this. Certainly I'm feeling much better than I did around uh, day eight or day nine, which, which I think was the zenith of the uh, of the symptoms and, and the complications. And what and what was that like? You know, when it was at its worst. <laughs> it was. Um, I I I had a uh, fever of around 101. So I had uh, fever sweats and, and night sweats. Uh, I had a lot of crazy dreams, <laughs> which uh, my my uh, primary care physician uh, indicated was 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 uh, normal when your uh, your body was experiencing elevated temperatures. So, uh, very vivid, sort of full technicolor, crazy crazy dreams. And then I had a cough that was pretty constant. So, um, those were the main symptoms that I experienced it on um, from about day five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, I did lose my, t um, <coughs> excuse me, my, my sense of taste and smell that happened about day six, uh, but that has since returned. So that's sort of an that's indicator good. that hopefully I am on the, on the backside of this thing. Because we were supposed to talk a few days ago, which I, which I guess was right when you were really in the, the worst of this, right? And you had to you, you put, schedule. You would, yeah, you you would not want to have spoke uh, spoken to me would have spoke to me on uh, Tuesday. That was uh, right after some really crazy dreams Monday night. So I was a little, a little uh, I was a little rattled. <laughs> uh, no, but it was a, it was definitely the, the fever, the sweats uh, that uh, 
uh, that my body is definitely uh, fighting and um, fighting the virus. And um, uh, even my primary care physician, I because I'm so involved and have been for years in the medical and the clinical um, medical industry. You know, you know, curious how a 51 year old uh, male such as myself, good shape, you know, good good underlying health indicators. Uh, had probably a medium case of COVID. We'll be curious about sort of the antibodies that uh, that my system is is developing, and uh, how long that I'll be hopefully immune to at least ver this version of the virus. So we have so much to learn. And and since I've been um, you know uh, COVID positive, I've been reading you know everything uh, you know I think validated hypothesis is about about the uh, about the infection. I think we've got a long way to go and still a lot to learn. And uh, I certainly want to do my part contributing to the body of knowledge uh, that's reliable for forming responses of how we as a, uh, we as a, uh, uh, we as a community, we as a country, we as a world really uh, respond to this uh, new novel COVID uh, or coronavirus that, that's definitely impacting us as humans. Definitely. And, and, and the timing was interesting, of course, because, uh, you know, we're recording this on uh, Friday, October 2nd. And, uh, and obviously this morning, everybody woke up to the news that President Trump and uh, the First Lady tested positive for COVID. So it's been quite the news frenzy around that all day. Um, so like that must be kind of uh, interesting for you because you're just you're still kind of in the middle of this or towards the tail end of it. And now we're going to hear all about, you know, the president uh, getting it. Yeah, I, I, I <coughs> excuse me, like so many of us, I, I, I did wake up to that news this morning and, and, you know, you know, I disclosed earlier, I'm 51 and I know the president is in his mid seventies. Um, my, uh, my family, my, my mother, who's still living, uh, she is also in her seventies and she, she wanted to actually fly out and, like any mother would take care of her, her son. I said, mother, no one, no one, uh, no one in, you know, in their seventies needs to be exposed to this. Right. Uh, so, so, so please keep your distance. And so, yes, uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone that has this. Uh, and, and certainly <coughs> we wish that the president and the first lady the best in their recovery, but it will be, it will be it will uh, it will be interesting. Uh, I think how they report on it, mm -hmm. and um, given the given all the politics that unfortunately have surrounded COVID uh, in 2020, um, my hope is we can get back to sort of real science and real data. You know, good solid hypotheses being tested is what I'd like to see. Um, I, I, I'd like to tone down all the politics that we have around COVID. Um, and just you know, simply focus on the science. Sure, and and I guess let's talk a little bit about what what you do uh, with Integra Medical and sort of you know how what your role is in all this. Yeah, we at uh, Integra Medical are leaders in needle-free uh, delivery technology, and basically what we do is we take low viscosity uh, pharmaceuticals and biologics. <coughs> and allow for a needle-free delivery of that suspension up to 0.5 uh, milliliters into the human body. So things like vaccines, things like allergy medicines uh, are uh, able to be delivered without a needle. And um, what, what we really focus is on 
is the efficacy of the delivery technology, not necessarily the active ingredient. Uh, so we're one of we're sort of like the uh, the picks and shovels you would you would be selling in a mining operation. We're part of the the technology and the equipment that will hopefully reach more people, particularly those uh, adults and children that are needle phobic, to hopefully allow them to get uh, a vaccine, uh, whether it's for the flu or whether it's for COVID or if they're taking regular uh, shots and they um, they don't necessarily comply as much as they should because they do not like needles, uh, our technology allows them an alternative to receive the therapy without being poked with a needle. And you mentioned, you know, that there are many people who are needle phobic. Can you talk a little bit more about what needle phobia is and, and sort of how prevalent it is? It's interesting. I think that, um, uh, you know, we've, we've all been to um, um, to doctor's offices that have children or to allergy clinics that have children. Um, you know, they start crying before they, they even, you know, depart the car in, in the parking lot. So I, uh, for some reason, there, there does tend to be a, a negative reaction with, with some people that's quite... Um, um, Physical, uh, they develop, you know, uh, physical, you know, negative uh, physiological responses to to needles. Um, this has been, you know, studied for well over a hundred years since we've had, you know, hypodermic needles around since about the 1880s. Um, what what we uh, and what we're beginning to study more thoroughly is can with our spring driven technology deliver the suspension into the body either subcutaneously or intramuscularly or even interdermally um, a suspension that will uh, have the same uh, efficacious impact as a hypodermic needle. Uh, so we're early on in, in the study and, and we're early on in the, the technology and the science and we've been at it since about April of 2019. Uh, the amount of interest that COVID uh, vaccine developers have shown in our uh, technology has been um, has been uh, definitely uh, has been definitely there. So that uh, that has certainly um, helped uh, sort of garner attention our way into the the effort that we're leading uh, the, the efforts that we're leading around how we can help a population become more compliant with more people getting a vaccine because there's a needle free option available to it. Right. And, you know, obviously the vaccine is still a little ways away. I mean, you know, I know that the president has said he wants to, he's hoping it'll be ready by the end of this year, but it seems more realistic that it will be sometime next year. Um, how can, uh, you know, your technology like yours help boost vaccine vaccination rates? Uh, would it be, you know, just, I mean, obviously, you know, it could hopefully get people, who are afraid of needles to to maybe show get a vaccination when they may may not have before? But um, you know, would you be able to be uh, involved in sort of the rollout of that, or is it is it a little early for that? Um, it, it we're not involved. Uh, you know, in, in full disclosure, we're not involved in any clinical trials yet. But uh, by our count, there is about thirty two different uh, COVID nineteen vaccine candidates. Uh, that are being um, considered globally. 
and um, uh, it, it's been fascinating. Uh, I think there's there's three or four that are sorting sort of leading in the United States. There's a couple leading sort of in Israel. So um, I think what, what what will happen is they'll get the the efficacy and the proof proved with you know, sort of traditional um, hypodermic uh, studies. I think though that um, once it starts to roll out into a public health delivery model led by a state or led by a country, I think that's where you <coughs> excuse me, begin to, to see uh, needle-free innovators such as ourselves have an option available for people that, uh, that do not want to take a shot. And you know, you mentioned there's multiple candidates, um, you know, or, or multiple vaccines that are being tested. I mean, how is how will it work in terms of, you know, just just say the U.S. I mean, will one of those be be picked to be used, or will they will they try, you know, will they try a number of them and see which works the best? How how is that going to work? You know, that that is going to be, uh, I think, interesting to see. Of course, we have. Uh, a few different manufacturers of flu vaccines in the United States. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we had uh, multiple COVID-19 uh, <coughs> vaccine uh, providers in the United States. Uh, and then you can imagine that those providers would want to differentiate um, their vaccine from others. And you could see where delivery technology such as needle-free could be a differentiator for a certain uh, a vaccine company. So uh, those are the types of outreach and inbound uh, questions we're receiving from the uh, the vaccine development community, and of course, um, you know, entertaining those conversations uh, in a very egalitarian uh, sort of role. We're not a vaccine development company. We're simply a, an option for delivery, and um, that uh, uh, those discussions will continue to have. And as uh, people get as uh, companies get closer to releasing uh, versions of vaccines. I think the only, um, to my knowledge, the only vaccine that's in wide release is the Russian vaccine in, 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 the, uh, in, the, uh, in the, uh, the Russian republics. So um, we are not working with that, with that uh, delivery model, but interestingly enough, we have been contacted. Uh, so uh, uh, certainly there seems to be a, a global race, so to speak, um, for the vaccine and, and the different types of delivery technologies. Um, are there other companies that, are, that do uh, have a similar kind of technology that, that you guys do, or are you guys sort of the, I imagine you're not the only one, but uh, is, is anybody else approved to, to deliver um, vaccine uh, that way? There are, there are, there are, uh, we do have two competitive companies. Uh, both of them are, one of them is an early stage company like us that does not have a, um, a product on the market uh, globally. Globally, The other has been around for about 10 years and, and has a, a different sort of approach to its, uh, to its delivery technology. Um, where we're focused in on is getting the regulatory approvals for, uh, for our needle-free injection device. Uh, in, this, in the European Union, in India, in the Middle East, and in North America, both Canada and the United States. We, um, we rely on a little different intellectual property uh, that creates sort of a quieter, quieter experience that um, 
um, doesn't scare the patient as much as, as maybe something with a loud pop would with some of the other. The technology has actually been around since World War II, believe it or not, when they would line up uh, uh, soldiers, GIs, and use uh, basically uh, CO2 gas to sort of give yellow fever and the different types of uh, malaria vaccines uh, to soldiers going overseas. Uh, so uh, there has been um, a body of science around needle-free technology. I think what we've done uh, with, with our innovations is we've made it quieter and uh, more comfortable on the patient. Um, and how did uh, Integra Medical get started? How long have you guys been around and, you know, sort of, you know, what, what was your sort of impetus to, uh, to, to, I guess, get into this uh, arena of technology? You know, you know, I'm a former hospital administrator and a former hospital CEO. And one thing that, that really uh, challenged me was the amount of waste that hospitals create. Everything from paper to food to, uh, to uh, biohazard. <coughs> and of course, sharps, what we call sharps objects, uh, things that you know, stick people and can cause injuries you know, further down. So my initial interest in, 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 in buying the company and buying the assets around needle-free technology uh, was really that this could be a sort of green solution to where you wouldn't have to dispose of a sharps needle through the uh, very expensive sharps uh, disposal process that we have, at least in the United States. Uh, and of course, you know, when, when, these contractors, you basically buy your sharps waste, you know, do we really know what happens to all those needles? You know, we hear stories all the time of needles washing up on shores and mm -hmm. et cetera. So my, my interest re really was from, I thought this was a great sort of environmental um, um, impact for, uh, you know, uh, high volume users of hypodermic needles, that this would lessen the amount of needles we would be using would uh, make the basically the cartridges that result uh, from the experience uh, being able to be disposed of in sort of normal sort of hospital waste. Uh, so that's what got me uh, interested. Plus the fact I really don't like needles. I'm one of those guys that just, <laughs> uh, if, if I had a needle-free uh, needle option, I'd, I'd definitely choose the needle-free option. Uh, so those were the two main impetus uh, um, for uh, sort of organizing the group of investors that we have. Um, initially uh, funding the company back in uh, April of, of 2019 and then COVID hit yeah. and uh, we we have uh, we've definitely uh, uh, made it onto the radar of a lot of uh, different companies uh, looking um, at you know everything from global shortages of needles uh, because of the, the the number of mass inoculation events we're expected to do uh, for COVID-19 over the next probably two or three years. Um, so the timing was the timing was good, Jay. The timing was absolutely. Good. Um, yeah. Did, now, did you know? Obviously, you guys were already underway before COVID hit. But did that force you to kind of speed things up a little bit to kind of you know get ready for an eventual vaccine? Yes, I, I, absolutely. I think the amount of interest from um, partnering organizations and partnering governance, governments, uh, that was a surprise to us. So we, uh, we definitely um, uh, under, understand and, and uh, have made, our, made sure our supply chain 
uh, has the capacity to get the number of cartridges and they could be pre-filled cartridges, you know, depending on how uh, the, the, the suspension will be constituted. Um, we're, we're remaining agile and nimble uh, and <coughs> uh, just uh, we're ready to work with companies on um, delivery technology that they need for the maximum efficacy, the, uh, the maximum uh, vaccine impact for the communities that they're, uh, that they're servicing. And how exactly does it work? You mentioned cartridges. Like, there's is there like a machine that kind of, you know, delivers the cartridge to the person, or how does that uh, how is that delivered? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, that's a great point. Basically, there is a needle-free injection device. It's a a stainless steel uh, sort of cylinder type object, and uh, on the, it's a sterile object. And then you've got a sterile cartridge that you either load. Uh, the suspension in, like you would like fill like a, a like a hypodermic needle syringe. You would pull from a ampule or pull from a vial, or in some instances that you know if the manufacturer just wants to create preloaded cartridges, we can do that as well in in, in coordination with the with the manufacturer. And that cartridge goes onto the end of the needle-free injection device. And the needle-free injection device goes uh, onto the human body and creates just a slight seal. And then you press uh, you press a button, and uh, the the suspension or the the medical um, or the pharmaceutical product or the biologic is just delivered through the pores of the skin uh, into the human body. There's no piercing of the skin like you have with a needle. In fact, uh, if you study the sort of pain receptors the pain of a needle going into the human body, the pain you experience isn't the actual uh, volume of the suspension filling into the human, it's actually the, it's actually the pain receptors of the metal tearing puncturing. its way into the human. Yeah, puncturing, exactly. Um, so when you, you know, after you uh, use a cartridge, then you have to, do you have to uh, sanitize the, the device before you can use it again on another person or how does that work? That, that's, that, that's correct. That would be uh, again, the, the, the very, very important. And of course we do that with a lot of medical devices mm -hmm. with our infection control tech technology in hospitals and doctor's offices anyway. So we've made sure that we've got a solid sort of a device that basically is the um, reusable for up to 10,000 injections. And then with the cartridge, you basically that's the, that is the disposable part of of the um, of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, that contains a suspension or the drawn up uh, fluid that you're putting into the uh, into the body. And, and you're are you, you? I think you mentioned you're you're awaiting sort of FDA approval right now. Uh, are you testing in yeah. hospitals, or how is that? Or is that testing to sort of done privately until you get approval? Well, certainly we will be, um, once we uh, go through a 510K clearance process with the FDA, we'll be doing much more testing in the United States. But um, we've had a lot of early testing being done in India and China and the European Union. And <coughs> we expect to have a regulatory approvals for our device in those uh, geographies. Uh, before we get it in the United States. So we'll continue to work with uh, institutional review boards that really all global academic medical centers, whether they be in the United States or, or elsewhere, to ensure that 
studies are designed to uh, to have um, you know no negative impact on human health, so that we can more fully understand uh, the efficacy and the potential of this technology in different clinical settings with different biologics and different vaccines. And another benefit of this kind of technology is um, reducing needle stick injuries, uh, which is a huge um, yes. problem for healthcare. Um, you know, I think you know, I've seen estimates of you know, up to 800,000, uh, you know, needle sticks per year. Um, so, you know, is that obviously that's gotta be a huge part of your, you know, marketing campaign when you, when you finally get out there. Yeah, de definitely. I think that, and I, and I think, I think, you know, having run hospitals and in large, uh, health systems, um, I think that there's actually underreporting of needle stick injuries uh, in in clinical delivery, and and I just, and, and I can tell you that you know once we have someone that's stuck with a needle, we have to remove that person from sort of the the um, uh, clinical delivery production line. We've got to treat them with uh, a whole range of drugs that 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 they <coughs> could have possibly encountered, you know, hepatitis, HIV. So there's a uh, there's a there's an exposure prophylaxis that we have to follow, and so each you know needle stick injury it costs um, it costs uh, thousands of dollars uh, just in in sort of the the lost production time and the sort of pharmaceutical treatment. So that was another uh, motivator from in addition to the sort of environmental impact that I was like hmm if we could uh, reduce the number of needle stick injuries. Uh, and create less waste, you know, I think this technology is certainly a game changer um, for, uh, for delivery. Um, do you see this technology or, and similar technologies eventually replacing needles down the road? No, I, I don't see that. I think there's a limit um, to um, the amount of, of milliliters or cc's that uh, um, needle-free technology can deliver. Right now, um, we, you know, in our <coughs> version two of the product, it looks like we're gonna do about one ml. Right now, we're going to go to market with our initial regulatory approvals with a 0.5 ml. So I think needles are going to continue to um, evolve, but what I, what I hope will happen is uh, more and more clini clinicians and more and more um, uh, people that deliver high volume um, needle or what we call shot clinics. We actually call them shot clinics is what we refer to them uh, in, in clinical delivery uh, that, that we will give uh, people a chance to opt either for a hypodermic needle or a needle free uh, delivery. So I think that that will, um, that will uh, be interesting to watch over the next decade is how much of the population will prefer uh, getting, uh, if the if the option is available, how much of the population will elect to get a needle-free version? Are there, and we, we, you know, I have I have my suspicions, but again, no science yet to really adopt that. We're, we'll definitely want to study that. Yeah, yeah. Are there any estimates on how many people don't get vaccinations or, or shots because of needle phobia? You know what I mean? Like none that I've. Yeah, yeah I, I I understand. I, I, none that I, none that I think that I've seen published uh, lately. Obviously, um, there's a, <coughs> there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to what I'd call the, the anti-vaccine sort mm. of 
um, community. So um, how much of that anti-vaccine community is needle phobic and doesn't like the, the needle, I don't know. I'd like to know, but um, I think that there's a, a, lot of, um, a lot of effort is going to be need, needed to put into public health education uh, to, uh, to help the public gain trust in, in, in vaccines and the important role that uh, vaccines and preventative um, sort of annual flu shots, uh, how much they actually benefit us in society. Um, and I imagine that there, at least right now, certain applications where you kind of need to have a needle, like, you know, uh, dental, yes. dental procedures where, you know, you need to administer, um, you know, anesthesia or something or, you know, um, you know, something around like, I guess, like, do you need like a flat surface for your, for your product to work or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, on an arm or, or somewhere else, or is like, you know, like, there are injections that are done like, you know, in your eyelid to numb up your eyelid, you know, for like, you know, those kinds of procedures and obviously in your mouth. So is there, are there certain procedures that, that uh, your technology can't sort of uh, work for right now? Uh, certainly, certainly <coughs> anything above the neck, you would not want to use uh, our device on. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> most, mostly what we have been a sort of early, you know, our early experience has been with, places where you would normally get vaccine, either in the buttocks, in the, in the thigh, uh, the back of the arm, the tricep. Uh, again, people who are giving insulin shots, for instance, maybe in their sort of the, the sort of midriff uh, area of their abdomen, those, um, those areas are the ones that we've been focused on. And, and believe me, we've, we've got a, a lot more science and a lot more work to do in that area, but initially just sort of, you know, tackling those sort of high shot areas of the arm, uh, the legs, the buttocks, uh, I think the ab abdomen, uh, that's where we want to sort of uh, get our confidence and get additional uh, data to show clinicians uh, the efficacy and safety of it. And that's probably the vast majority of shots, those, yes. those areas anyways, right? So makes sense. To focus yeah. That's, yeah, except in, of course, dental procedures where right. there, there's a, you know, a completely different use of, of hyperdermics and dental procedures. Uh, I, don't, I don't see needle-free technology getting into dental area right. anytime soon. Well, um, you know, I know, you're, you know, as we could hear, you're still kind of uh, dealing with COVID. How, how has the diagnosis changed your approach to, uh, you know, to what you do? Oh, great question. Um, let me be. Let me, you know, let me be thoughtful about this as a as a twenty five year, you know, health professional and uh, person, kind of on the tail end of his COVID experience. Um, you know, I, it, it was interesting. I was um, I was resuming a lot of business travel, uh, starting um, you know basically August September, and I did notice that in certain parts of the country that I was visiting there was, I think, a different attitude toward masks and a different sort of attitude towards sort of social distancing. And of course, I don't know where I picked COVID up, but I, <coughs> what I can tell you is it has definitely made me more uh, committed to uh, maintaining social distance and you know, always wearing the mask. I know that masks are controversial, unfortunately, uh, but I think that, um, I certainly want to do my part 
as a, as a human being to sort of just minimize um, um, the impact that um, this this uh, virus is having uh, on my fellow humans, and and quite honestly, I mean, as as soon as I began experiencing symptoms, you know, isolating myself and making sure that uh, I was not infecting anybody, that was a priority for me. So it definitely made me realize that, oh, I guess I'm not invincible. <laughs> um, despite my go get them attitude and despite my, you know, all my uh, good health management uh, career, et cetera, that by gosh, you know, I can absolutely uh, contract this virus. And again, you know, even with the president and first lady being uh, diagnosed to, uh, today, it is out there. It, and it is, um, it's gonna be with us for a while. So it's definitely going to, I think, limit the amount of, 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 of international travel that I do and and um, relying now, I think we've all become experts now at GoTo meetings and yeah. Microsoft team meetings yeah. and Zoom meetings. Yep. So, and <laughs> so that's definitely the new sort of, I think, uh, pathway forward. I, I, you know, you know, I was, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon for me to do 300,000 air miles a year on American. And um, it's certainly that, you know, those days are, 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 are long gone. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me today. I hope you feel better soon and uh, wish you the best of luck with, uh, you know, Integra Medical going forward. All right, Jay, thank you and appreciate the interest and look forward to staying in touch. All right. And that wraps up episode 13 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.